0: this morning as we continue our service, we want to address part two of trust in action. Because as we live in this world where it's very difficult to know who to trust, what to trust, who to believe, what's the truth, and it kind of feels like, I don't know if you, but I feel like every time I turn around, I'm being lied to. That's just me because by nature, I am very skeptical. By nature, I don't trust people, right? It takes some work. And so um, it is a real miracle that I'm even a follower of Jesus, and um, did this work right? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, It's a miracle I'm following Jesus, and it's a miracle that I continued to follow Jesus once life got a little rocky, once life got a little scary, and I've had to do a lot of research on my own, a lot of work on my own, to really become strong in my faith. Is it not on? Yeah? Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. All right. No? Okay. Time out. We're all good. It doesn't matter. I can start over. Check one, two. Check, check. Huh? Well, for you guys, I've got a big, i got a big voice if we're online. those folks. So if you're online, you didn't hear me. I think we're good now, right? Okay. I coach baseball long enough to where I'm a carnival barker. I can, you can hear me across the field. <laughs> um, so we're good. All right, thank you gentlemen for working on that. Good job. So as we continue with our we good, we good So we continue with this series Trust in Action. We know that we need to be something for one another as a church family, and we need to be something for one another as family members in our own homes. And that is trustworthy because it is very hard to know who to trust. And if you can't trust the people in your own home, and you can't trust the people in your own church, now we're really in trouble. Because I think we've kind of settled in that trusting the media, eh, I don't know, (laughs) right? Trusting what we read, trusting rumors, trusting good night the things you see on social media. That, like, whoa, okay, scary stuff. So what my desire is, is that you and I would take it upon ourselves Develop to develop trustworthiness within our own personal character, our own relationship with God, and then be able to take that and establish that in our homes, that our relationships in our homes with our spouses, with our children, with our grandchildren, um, with neighbors, that there can be at least one place around you where there is somebody that is trustworthy. And then second of all, if we could do work as a church to realize that part of our mission and part of our vision is a church that Speaks the truth in love. That it might not always be the easiest thing to hear. Might not not always be the most pleasant thing to hear. But speaking the truth because we love each other enough to do so. And that we become people that we can come into this space or we can meet wherever. You can meet each other's homes. You can meet via Zoom. You can have phone calls. You can go out and get coffee. You can do all sorts of things. But you can have relationships here, part of this church, that you can trust. Because we are people that are trustworthy. Trustworthy. And the longer I'm in this community and the more I meet with other pastors, I know that our church is not alone in that. Because fortunately, I've met quite a few pastors around this community, and I'm finding a lot of good people. A lot of good men and women. A lot of good members of other churches. A lot of good pastors. I think there's some good things going on in many, many churches. So this isn't a message to say, here at The Retreat Church, we're going to be the most trustworthy church in town. No, that's nonsense to make statements like that. But my prayer is that that I relate to other pastors that all across this area, no matter what church you attend, no matter if your friends, family members go to another church, that within the Christian community, we can take this opportunity when trust is low and when sensitivity in people's ears are, are wide open for lies and all those kind of things, that the followers of Christ will step into that gap and be able to bring relationships that are trustworthy. And we would want trust to be in action. One of the reasons why this is so important is because you have decisions to make, right? So do I. Every day we're making decisions. We're making decisions on big scale levels, like things involving our, involving our health, things involving our money, things involving our relationships. We're constantly making decisions, and we're making decisions based upon information, right? At least I, I hope that's what you're doing. I hope that you just don't... Well, let's just go with my gut, right? yeah, um, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble. If you follow your heart, which is a positive part of the day, right? We know that if you follow your heart, well, Jesus says your heart is corrupt. Who can know it? And sometimes our hearts, oh my goodness, right? We don't really know. So following Jesus Christ and becoming a trustworthy person. So because we have decisions to make, and times of change are inevitable things are always changing in your life and around us as we move through various places in our life and various stages of our life things change our world changes people change and so if we're going to navigate change we need trustworthiness and also among all of these decisions that we need to make and all of these changes that happen around us i'm assuming that both you and i are anticipating a positive outcome so change is taking place great we're gonna have a positive outcome things around us got some decisions to make I'm praying that you're not a your right that you're not going well if I make this decision oh it's just going to be bad this it's always bad it, it's just bad and then what does a uh, um Winnie the Pooh oh bother right that, that we're not just like well there's not a positive choice to make we're going to make a decision it's all going to blow up in our face great I know that you're, as you navigate change and you make decisions and you hope and pray for positive outcomes, being trustworthy is going to help you navigate all of that. So, I want to talk to you this morning about a very basic statement that's probably oversimplistic, but perhaps helpful. To be trusted, you must be trustworthy, right? So, if I'm going to expect you to trust me as your pastor, as we together make decisions, as we together navigate change, as we together hope for positive outcomes, and I give you advice based upon my knowledge and my understanding and my position, I, need, I sometimes sometimes you look at me and sometimes church board goes, I don't know, Pastor. And, and I want you to trust me, so I have to be a trustworthy person. And so do you. Because sometimes in our relationships, sometimes my wife is like, Paul, you just got to trust me and this is the decision... That is good, and please just trust me. Oh, Okay, then I'm going to go your direction, right? There's going to be times when we're going to ask that of each other. I know you're going to ask that of your kids, and then when your kids start to grow up a little bit, your kids start asking you to trust them. And when they're 15 and they're saying, trust me, and you're like, how on your life? Because no one trusts a 15-year-old, right? I mean, that's just like this little space in their life, like 13 to about 22, where you're like, you get no trust. And uh, you have no options. You're on lockdown, and that's it. And I, I'm overstating that. You understand, but this is a statement for them because in my years of teaching high school, all these high schools would treat me like an adult. And I'd say, well, you're not one yet. <laughs> treat me like an adult. Well, then act like one. And their response is, well, you act like one. And I go, well, maybe I need to grow up. But trust is something that we need to earn. And trust is something that comes from you being trustworthy in your, in your own character. So how do we grow in that? I'm going to assume that you're like me and that you have some areas of your life that can use some improvement, that you can use some growth. So let's talk about a few of those and then we'll end with a challenge like we usually do. The first thing that comes to mind as we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33-37 through 37, is this, to be a person whose word is enough. Are you that person where when you say something, no one needs to like... Have some sort of guarantee, or like when you were a little kid, I'll promise to be your best friend, right? That was always like the, the statement. I you know promise to be your best friend, and then there was all these these things. What if you if, if if you do this, then I'll do that, or you know that other statement that we used to make, at least in my home with my sisters, we used to say um, something like I promise, or like hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, or cross my heart, or something like that, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I think that's how it went. Finally got that right. Um, we used to always have to make the, well, Now, why would I have to tell my sister that? Why would I have to say, No, I promise, I really will promise? You know, it's because last time I broke my promise, that's why. And because the time before that I broke my promise. And I, my general pattern with her is to break promises. But now when I come to her and say, Please trust me. I don't know about that. So, you're a person that you have to have some sort of guarantee, some sort of out. Now, what happened in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, is Jesus is preaching what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And when you get to this place, Jesus does something that you kind of have need a back, some background information on. Okay? So, in the Jewish culture, they were a verbal exchange culture. All right? And they also learned by verbal exchanges. So, it was an orally um, built. On these oral traditions, they knew the past because it was shared to them. Rabbis would have their yoke of teaching or their set of teachings where the rabbis would come and orally dispense that and dump that into the heads of their disciples. And after a period of years, disciples would take, we keep cutting in and out. So I think, yeah, let's try something. two check one two let's see if that helps so as this in this orally transmitted kind of culture and society when they had to do this if somebody was to come up and give you their word they didn't really have like a contract to sign so really the basis of their agreement with you was going to be their word But let's say somebody was making a promise to you or giving you some sort of guarantee, going to make some sort of deal with you. And you didn't really trust them. What you would ask them to do is to swear an oath. And they would have to swear an oath by something, right? And so what their idea was is as they swore an oath by something, the closer that something was to God, the more weight it had, right? And the more pressure it had. And the less likelihood of that person giving the oath would break it. So what they would do is they would say, well, I swear an oath by my own head. And that's really far away from God, so that's kind of a lighthearted kind of, I might break this, I might not, kind of deal. And then they would do something maybe on their life or on their land, or then as we move forward, we'd go on Jerusalem, then the temple, or by the God of heaven, I swear to you. So you see the they would swear these oaths by the hairs on their own head or lack thereof in my case and they would move all the way across to the very throne of God and that's kind of what they would do for one another Jesus then comes in verse 33 and he says again you have heard it was said of those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn but you say Excuse me, But I say, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Notice what Jesus does here. He takes this progression of their hair all the way to the throne of God and makes it all God's. As you read that again later on this morning, as you're reflecting on that perhaps this afternoon and revisiting the text, you'll notice that Jesus takes that whole progression and He takes the whole thing and He sets it right next to God. And He said, all of it is heavy. There isn't one part of what you would swear by that is kind of lighthearted. That it is all right up to and near God. So your very words, when you promise something, when you say you're going to do something, when you give your word, It is as though you are swearing an oath right up next to God. So he raises that whole notion of this is a lighthearted one and this is a heavy one. And then Jesus makes that statement that we are all familiar with. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Hmm. Anything more than this comes from evil. Notice Jesus does not say anything more than this is evil he says anything more than this comes from evil so what suppose you the evil that he speaks is this your inability and my inability to tell the truth because maybe i have a pattern of lying that's the evil that will then cause you to say i don't know i trust you maybe the pattern is of abuse of using agreements to control and to manipulate, oh, well, that comes from evil. So notice the evil motivators that possess the human heart that would cause the human to make promises that one they cannot keep, they don't plan on keeping, but their words are simply for selfish gain and manipulation. And so all of that is the evil that which Jesus speaks. And he says, do not make any of those types of oaths because all is God and none is under your control and all is sacred. And so you don't have any right to make an oath by it. And if you needed to make some sort of oath, it's because probably in your past, in the relationship that you're dealing with, you have lived in such a way to cause those people to distrust you to where no longer is your word valid. And so Jesus tells us followers of Him must be people of their Word where their Word is sufficient. Now, lest you take this teaching too far and you go down over to Red Toyota of Redlands and you say, I'm not going to sign anything. I'm simply going to tell you I'll pay this car. And you could just buy That's not going to work. You don't have to go to Redlands Toyota and say, sorry, I serving this week that doesn't allow me to sign contracts that's not what we're talking about just stop that you'll have to sign promissory notes you're gonna if you go to buy a house sorry you're gonna have to you know sign your life away it feels like right when you when you buy a house and do all those things that's not this scripture this scripture is your character okay so don't get silly with the bible enough of that going on So beyond being a person that his word is enough, we also, we learn from Proverbs 11.13, that we need to respect one another's privacy. Now, maybe this verse was written before Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and all the rest of the things that I can't keep track of anymore. But whoa, do we ever need this statement out of Proverbs 11.13. Whoever goes around slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit Keeps a thing covered. And we Christians are, where we kind of go astray is we use the Christianese to talk about why we're putting these things on Facebook. We start any sort of slanderous phrase with the phrase, please pray for. And that's the way we kind of couch it. Please pray for, and then you're putting things on social media that no one ever wanted out there. And it's the Christian way of being malicious and slandering one another. So we have to be very, very careful of what things you push share and what things you say and what things you might even say in the foyer when you pull somebody to the side and say, hey, so-and-so's not here today at church. Hey, we need to pray for them because I heard. Okay, really check your heart in that. Be very careful because if there is one place that is very, very, or two places that are very, very dangerous in churches where people... Learn not to trust anybody further in their church and even start to not, no longer trust God is those prayer chains and prayer groups. Those could be the most horrible places in the church. And isn't that sad that it could be that way? And so we need to be very careful how we pray with one another, right? We need to be very careful Even as you guys bring things to me If the people you're asking me to join you in prayer with don't know you're coming to me, then don't come to me. And if you do come to me with something going on in somebody else's life other than yours, then you're free to talk to me about how it might affect you. Say you have an adult children. I've got three. Soon to be 30, 29, and 27. (laughs) Okay? If I have a problem with one of my children or all three, and I want you to pray for me, and I want some of the leaders of the board... Those are my children, but they're adults. I get their permission. Hey, would you mind, as my daughter is in full-time ministry at a church in Huntington Beach, right? So if there was something going on at their church, and she goes, Dad, help. (laughs) Well, if I was going to bring that to you, or the board, or Pastor Ryan, or anybody, I would first say, hey, Bailey, do you mind if I have my church praying for you? Sure Dad that'll be all for it. no Dad let's just kind of keep that one a shh. let's keep that one a secret because I know all the Nazarene pastors in the Inland Empire zone I'm not free to stand up here and say anything about the Highland church or the bridge or any of those churches without those pastors permission right because we can destroy relationships very very quickly by coming and saying please pray for and then throwing out people's information when they didn't ask for that and so we need to be very, very, very careful now. I know I'm talking to adults this morning, but if perhaps a teen is listening, this passage does not give people license, especially teenagers, younger folks, when they have a friend in trouble. Oh, well, the proverb says that we need to keep that covered. So my friend's doing drugs, so I'm not going to say anything. My friend is suicidal, so I'm not going to say anything. Okay, that, that's opening up a whole other ball game, Right? Right? Because if you have somebody in your life that is struggling with those types of things, at that point, perhaps we should break some confidence for their own sake. Notice the passage starts off whoever goes about slandering, right? Slandering. So that's the motive. The motive is to slander someone. But if you have someone that was suicidal and you have someone that is heading down a very dark path and you think it'll be helpful for me to join you in that effort please come get me. We'll keep, that, we'll keep that silent between us and you. But if you need help reaching that person, and I know that some of you have worked at schools and those kind of things, you're a mandated reporter. Okay, so if you have a child that looks like the child is being abused, we got to go say something. Okay, same here as a pastor. I am a mandated reporter. If, if there's sites of, signs of abuse among children at church or teenagers or spouses, we got to to speak up so this is not that again with being trustworthy with rightly dividing the word of truth let's be careful how far you extend that to where well i'm not going to sign a contract when i buy the new tundra and this kid is suicidal but i'm not saying anything because proverbs said i have to keep that covered that's ridiculous you're thinking people you know how to apply the word of god with a sense of wisdom and understanding right thank you you guys are amazing and awesome But also moving past that idea of respecting privacy, I think then something needs to shape the way you and I interact. And the way you and I interact should be that we make the fear of God, or make your fear of God, shape how you influence others. So before I even say anything to you, before I even respond to you in any form of communication, I need to make sure that it's not my own personality, my own desires, maybe my own natural skepticism, I can't really lead the church or give you pastoral guidance or friendly advice from anything but I fear God. And that's not I'm being scared of God, but I respect God in His Word. So when somebody says, hey pastor, what do you think about... Well, (laughs) I'm kind of in this relationship with God that everything based on Him I have to share with you. Funny way to kind of relate that to you is when I was preaching at a church in Palm Springs a few years ago, I was going a wee bit fast down the 10 freeway, and uh, just a little, and so I got pulled over by the CHP officer and pulled me over and I said, hey, funny thing, and he goes, what's that? And I said, I deserve the ticket, I was speeding, and you can write that thing up however you want, but I just thought it would, you'd want to know that it's kind of funny that you're going to write that I'm speeding today because I'm trying to get to a church to preach and teach the Bible, and he goes like this... And he goes, now you expect me to give you a ticket? And I said, well, I deserve it. Go ahead. And the rumor is CHP officers don't let you off for anything, right? See, they, they will write cops, cops. They don't care. They just, they don't care. They are writing tickets, okay? But this cop, he goes, this officer, he said, well, it would be bad mojo on me if I wrote you this ticket, so go ahead. And I said, but I desired, I felt like, oh, here I am using the pastor card to get out of it. How weak. So I kind of felt like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. But then he goes, go on about your way. He goes, because I'm scared of God. (laughs) And he goes back and gets in his vehicle, and I pulled the pastor card to get out of a speeding ticket. Probably not fair um, to do such things. But that's just one way where you and I have to understand that as we're raising children and we're trying to create This way of having a home that's trustworthy, where no matter how old they get, they can always come home and ask mom and dad. They can always have a space where they can feel like they can trust mom and dad and they can be trusted as well, which is kind of hard, right? And you understand the dance that that creates. But in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, something was going on that Moses really had a hard time with in that as he was leading the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, that there had been so many arguments, and so many disputes, and they would come to Moses because he was the man of wisdom, and, and he was the, their leader, and they would come to him, and his burden was so heavy with all of these decisions that he had to make that finally his father-in-law Jethro stepped in and said, man, you son, you are driving yourself insane over here. He's like, you, you can't do all this by yourself. Let's go get some people to help carry the burden that can help in, in leading these disputes and, and helping people find resolution. And so these were the type of people that Moses was, was, was suggested to get. He said this in verse 21, Moreover, this is Jethro to, to Moses, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And I thought to myself, we need these leaders. And one of, the pro- one of the reasons why you and I have a really difficult problem following leaders today of any kind, maybe at your workplace or some of our city or government officials, some of our national world leaders, is because many of them don't fear God. They fear a lot of other things. They, feel, they fear the, the ballot box. They fear their bank account. They fear their legacy. They fear a lot of things. But fearing God, and then my goodness, trustworthiness, right? Well, what's your past? What have you done? What's the record of your life? Because the best indication of what you're going to do in the future is what you've done in the past. And so how do I know? And then hate a bribe. Wow. So that cancels out all political action committees, right? And I just think, and I sat with this verse this week, and I said, God, if we would just somehow go to the ballot box with this in mind and said, Lord, I want to vote for someone who fears you and that we can trust and that hates bribes. Maybe that's a prayer as we approach the midterm elections later this year, right? Maybe that's what you and I need to pray for right here as a church, and say, Lord, I'll vote for whoever, I don't, what color, stripe, label, whatever, that I, I need someone that'll live according to these. And if we can't find it out there, we need to create it in here. Like you need to be these type of people in your homes. And we need to be this these type of people in our churches. And so, with that, I want to make a challenge to you. And the challenge is this. That if you have violated any of these issues of trustworthiness, any of these commandments from Scripture, any of them or other ones that I did not mention, that your first two steps in restoring the trust of others is repentance and seeking forgiveness. That's what you're going to have to do. If you look at your past and you're saying, wait a minute, uh, ah, I've been a pretty untrustworthy person. What do I do? How do I fix this? How do you restore trust within your marriage? How do you restore trust with people that you work for, or maybe your children? Because those of us that have raised kids, we've had those conversations when they reach adulthood, right? Where we look back over, the, over their childhood and we go, sorry for that one, and that one, and that one, because is there a perfect parent? No, not at all. perhaps, we have some people in our lives that we would sit with and do well to seek their forgiveness and then repent and maybe we can restore that trust. And one of those examples on how we do that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 8 through 13 where Paul starts to write a sec- his second letter. Notice in verse 8 he says this, for even if I have made you grieve with my letter. That letter was 1 Corinthians. Because in 1 Corinthians, wow, did he lay into them. <laughs> Right? I mean, 1 Corinthians is full of correction, full of rebuke. And then he writes the second one, and he goes, um, if I made you grieve by my letter, notice he says, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. <laughs> so Paul has this insert internal turmoil. He spoke to, them, spoke to them the truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or first, the first letter in 1 Corinthians 1, And then he doesn't feel bad, but then he feels bad, and then he doesn't feel bad again. You ever feel that way? You ever do something and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that hurt their feelings. Oh, no, I feel kind of bad about that. Oh, wait a minute, it's actually turning out to their good. Oh, no, okay, I no longer regret it anymore. I now feel good about it. And that's kind of like sometimes when we need to speak hard truth to one another, right? So if there's something going on in one of our lives and you and I have a conversation and you you share some things, hey pastor, I've kind of noticed this, this, and this, and and I get a little sideways with you, I get my feelings hurt, I get sad, or I get angry, or I get some sort of inappropriate, and I'm like, I tell you off or something, and then you're like, oh man, I kind of feel bad. Oh my goodness. And then maybe I settle in and a couple days later I call you and say, hey, I got a little sideways with you, but you were right. I prayed about it, and God helped me understand that you really what you were trying to tell me was for my own good, and I took it bad, and I got defensive, and I apologize. Well, now you don't feel bad anymore. You're like, yay, I'm glad I told him what I told him. He got a little sideways, I felt bad, but now he's doing better, and I feel good too. That's Paul with these two letters. And that might happen as we relate to one another. For he says, as he continued, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved. In other words, I don't find any joy in hurting your feelings. (laughs) But because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Now I want to stop right there for a second. Something going on in our culture today that's going to stop this passage dead in its tracks. And that is the misuse of the word shame. Okay? So if I come or you come, we somehow we're relating to one another and there's something going on in that relationship that needs to be addressed, needs to be corrected, and so somebody comes with a word of rebuke. Well, in our culture today, one of the things that we're being told in various places and various things is don't shame anybody. Oh, you're going to make them feel bad. Oh, don't correct them. Don't tell them that that's not... Just give everybody the trophy. Just give everybody the A. Just tell everybody they're wonderful. We don't want them to experience shame. Now, this is the difference. If it's shame, go away from me, that's inappropriate. If it's... Shame on you. You are better than that. Come here. I need to give you a hug and we need to grow and get better. That's what we got to do, right? Because not all behavior is applaudable. Not all of our actions and attitudes and the way we live our life is commendable. There are times when rebuke is in order. There are times when correction is needed. There is time when warning is appropriate. And if that makes someone feel bad, perhaps they should. Perhaps they should feel bad for the way they've been treating people. Perhaps their lifestyle and their attitudes and their actions are shameful and they need to quit those and they need to repent and turn around and seek forgiveness of the people that they've been relating to in that way. But if we're so afraid to shame people, if we're so afraid to make someone feel bad, then they're never going to come to repentance. They'll just continue down a destructive path and that's not love mm